0: Hello and welcome back to New Books in Latino Studies. I'm David James Gonzalez, the host of the channel. And today I'm speaking with Idilis Malave, co-author with S.D. Giordani of Latino Stats, American Hispanics by the Numbers, published by the New Press in 2015. Idilis is an organizational consultant who ran the Tides Foundation in California for 11 years and was also the vice president of the Miss Foundation. Uh, she has also co-authored... Uh, another book with Elizabeth DeBold and Marie Wilson, entitled Mother-Daughter Revolution. Hello, Idelice, and welcome to New Books in Latino Studies.
1: Hi, DJ. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Well, I'm excited to have you on the channel and to discuss a, a lot of the the really interesting you know, facts and tidbits that are covered in your book. Uh, I was hoping you could just begin our discussion by telling us a little bit about yourself, you know, with your personal and, and professional background.
1: Sure. Um, so, I'm a long-time social justice activist. I've been active in Latino movement, women's movement for decades. Um, it is one of the great satisfactions of my life that I've gotten to do that. Um, and I've written a few books along the way. And this book was particularly fun and satisfying to do because I got to write it with my daughter. All
0: right and can you tell us a little bit about how the book itself came about uh, you know how did you start to think of this project and and uh, you know start to organize it and eventually find a publisher and all that
1: um so the publisher the new press which is a fabulous and unique publisher um, in that it's not-for-profit and really has a social and economic and environmental justice system mission in the world, actually was sought us out, sought me mm. out first. Um, I knew the the publisher, and we were talking, and the conversation was really, they had done a book on African Americans called Black Stats, mm. Um But the conversation was really about the reality that here in the United States people tend to focus on these days on how many of us there are and are going to be, right? right? The changing demographics, you know, we're gonna outnumber, you know, this group and that group in so many decades. And they don't focus nearly enough on who we are. Right. And there's so many misconceptions that this felt like an opportunity to actually surprise people into the realities of you know, this is generalizations and it's data and real, you know, but the realities of Latino life, in fact, in this
0: country. No, certainly, and and you open the the book with that. Uh, I think uh, you know addressing this issue of the misconceptions about the Latino population and typically how it's discussed in media, particularly around you know election season, which is going on now, uh, where there are these underlying fears about this. You know, the, you know all these these uh, you know. Uh, Ocean-like water metaphors are used, you know, the rising tide, uh, you know, these waves of migrants, all these, these types of, you know, language that's alarmist in, in nature and refers to a, you know, the, the demographic transition that's occurring and that's, you know, frankly been occurring for decades now, um, as something that's that's really a matter of you know peril peril for you know the nation for its own sense of identity you you know n- refer to you know these these fears about uh the unassimilable you know latinos that you know in the introduction as as well as just the underlying racism uh that that is a deep seated part of you know our country's history and and so how those kind of those intersect right and and those became part of the motivation right for this book to really dispel a lot of these myths and Absolutely. and concerns
1: Absolutely, and one of, um, I am ashamed to say that one of the surprises in doing the research for me, something that I did not know, as familiar as I am, you know, I was born in Puerto Rico, I'm an immigrant, as familiar as I am with all of the anti-immigrant rhetoric, right, that Mm -hmm. surrounds us, right, I did not know that in the 1930s, the United States under President Hoover, deported one million Mexican heritage um, residents and citizens of the United States, a million. 600,000 of them were citizens, just randomly picked up on the streets, put in a bus, and, you know, driven into Mexico and dropped. um, You know, good luck to you um, there. So I do think, right, that, these cultural and economic fears, right? They kind of, they, um, they get intertwined. Exactly. Um, in, in a way that I think is coinciding. I just read the other day, um, in the Times, um, the columnist Blow did a, a whole piece about Ameri- white America's broken heart right? Mm-hmm. This identity crisis
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, that is underway. Um, and yet, you know, one of the data that interested me was, you know, particularly the the lightning rod for so much of this um, hate rhetoric and action um, are undocumented immigrants, many of whom are, are Latino.
2: Right.
1: Um, and yet, You know, I think it's something like, depending on whether you're Republican or Democrat, like seven or eight, you know, slightly higher among Democrats out of 10 Americans feels that hardworking, they should be allowed to stay and live in this country. Mm -hmm. So it's, I have my sense, and maybe it's what I want to believe, but my sense is that the nasty rhetoric right, um, is not a 100% aligned with what actually your average Americans think and feel. But it's something that's, that some feel and some are almost being made to feel by some of these really ugly voices that we're being, you know, that are out there on the air, I won't even say his name.
0: <laughs> Thank you. I agree. But no, I, <laughs> I, I won't say his name. <laughs> I, I agree. And I think that you're right. There is a very loud and vocal, influential minority that, that gets a lot of the airplay and gets to stir the, the fear or control the narrative and, and thereby, you know, drive and um, you know, um, dissent and, and and uh, you know certain types of opinion, particularly when it comes to issues of you know ethnicity and, and race and and um, yep. immigration I mean with you you look at the just the, the facts that uh, you know Latinos have become the face of the immigration debate, despite the fact uh, and we'll get into the statistics later that that a very very t- small population of Latinos number one are undocumented immigrants, but that also that whole Concept and discussion around and, and documentation and and there I said you know use the word I hate to use as illegal or alienage you know that that get that gets marked onto Latino bodies despite the fact that there are there are many Europeans exactly. there are Canadians there are other immigrants from very other uh, various parts of the world that overstay visas and are here illegally as well and uh, yet they are not covered in that discussion so uh, I agree and I and really often- uh-huh. And often yeah. equated. I
1: mean all Latinos, right? right. It's it's yeah. the uh, the numbers as you noted are not that high, right? Seventeen percent of exactly. Latinos more or less are undocumented immigrants. But the reality is that over two thirds of Latinos were born here exactly. in the United States. Right. We're not even immigrants, mm-hmm. right? Many of us, right? Um, and yet um you know that the the face as you said of the unwanted illegal right immigrant is invariably a latino face
0: mm-hmm. Hmm. Certainly. And um, before we we're going to get into a number of these things, we're going to go by topic, and that's what the book does. The book breaks down all of these stats. It's organized very nicely uh, uh, by chapter, um, according to topics, going from immigration to the economy, education, etc. We're going to go through a number of those, um, and then each chapter I'll point out to for our readers has a nice opening, you know, snippet uh, that gives a, a summary and introduction into uh, the the statistics that are that are covered. And it all reads very nicely. I I really have to commend you you on the way the book is organized. I like how each chapter has the initial uh, Snapchat view or Snap, not chat, Snapstat, Snapstat view uh, that gives you kind of an overview of the rest of the chapter. And then, uh, you know, it goes through by different subsections. So it's by no means, um, you know, really, I think, redundant or anything like that. Um, It actually reads very nicely and and quite easily. I just wanted to cover really quick and have you speak of the, the source. Forces. Where did you get all these statistics from? If you can make a few, uh, just a, a comment. Sure.
1: Um, I think we noted it in the introduction, but mm-hmm. we relied a lot on census figures, um, other government agencies that right. collect the data. Um, in some cases, um, polling and marketing. You know, um, one of the things I discovered in this process is that. Um, marketing and ad companies are more interested in who Latinos are than politicians are. You know, they (laughs) want to know everything about us, right? Because we spend, you know, $1.5 trillion a year. Um, They're very interested in us, but um, we managed to do most of the research online. Um, What was one of the Herculean tests of this book is every statistic in this book is footnoted. Right. Um, Every bit of data. And the reason that we did this um, is because we know that this data particularly in this day and age is going to get old fast.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Right. Um, Some of it doesn't. Right. Like the census data. It takes a while to um, update it given the the 10-year span between um, census um, taking. But um, we figured if you had the source, and most of them are online sources, you can go and see what the latest number is. Um, We give you the the site, off you go, and you can find it. Um, So um, I would say the sources are rock solid, Um, There's nothing in here at any point, and, you know, this is also, you know, new press has very high standards. If We were even tempted to put something that wasn't from a rock-solid source, Um, but I think it's useful for folks also in just knowing what some of the key sources for some of this data. Some of it is not obvious, you know disease control captures all sorts of data. That's true. Um, right. right? It has to do with public health, but you don't necessarily go there um, when you're looking for that other data.
0: Yes, and, and I'll add, it's, uh, the the uh, references are quite well noted. There's a, at least forty pages. I'm looking here of notes in the back uh, where everything is footnoted, and and I you know I spent some time going through the notes because I was just very curious myself of where the sources were, and they are you know typically you know government reports or nonprofits or things like you know the, the Pew Research Center. Pretty you're looking at very
1: credible. Oh, I should have incredible... say something about Pew. Uh-huh. Um, Pew Research. God bless them. I don't know what let you know. Would do without them. Um, <laughs> they have been compiling data, you know, year after year after year. They're solid, and they also compile data that turns out to be particularly useful. So, mm-hmm. for example, in the area of racial identification, you know, the census goes yeah. so much, as we all know, right? How mm-hmm. you ask the question often determines what answer you'll get.
2: Exactly.
1: Um, the census asks the question one way and gets a series of answers and data. Um, Pew asks the question another way, and you learn that, Actually, over half of Latinos identify as not, you know, ni blanco ni negro. It's sort mm-hmm. of like some mm-hmm. other race or mix, more than half of us. Right. Um, so it's a very important source. Thank you for mentioning it, DJ.
0: certainly. Certainly. Um, and also, there's a very handy index in the back too. So I, I think it's it's just very you know easy to manage this thing, uh, this this book, and find the stats you want. Uh, it can be a very you know quick refen- reference for those interested. It also can be, like I said, you can just sit down and and take a few chapters at a time and read through it. So uh, again, just a very well put together book. All right, so let's let's get into this and let's uh, start with kind of the the big stuff, uh, the basics, if you will. Uh, I mean, I got my handy copy here. Uh, so we'll st- we'll start with this. You know, the general population, right? Uh, Latinos, uh, roughly about fifty-three million Latinos living in the United States right now, currently, which is the the second largest ethno-racial uh, demographic, but the largest minority uh, demographic, right? Uh, in in the uni- United States, that's for now. Um, that's right.
1: One in six Americans, one in six, um, are Latino right now.
0: You know, and actually, I even forgot to say before we get, oh, no, I'm going to bring this up in immigration, so we'll keep going. So, yes, just the big picture stuff, um, projections, right? Uh, 2050, they're projected that there will be around, somewhere around 112 million Latinos by 2050. So, essentially, almost more than doubling the current population uh, within the next, okay, what is that, 35, 34 years or so, right? Right,
1: and some of those, you know, with a lot of those some of them say it's 2042, some say 2050, it depends on you. Right. Um, but certainly around that time, one in three Americans will be Latino.
0: Right, wow, that's fascinating. And that's it also is. when they are, and I saw a recent study on this from Pew as well, that it's when they project around that time, He say, give or take five to ten years of that 2050 landmark, that the, the new majority will emerge. That is, that yes. minorities then Widespread will outnumber the aging uh, Anglo uh, and white population. That, that's what's being predicted.
1: Absolutely, and and most of and that is largely true because of the growth of the Latino population. The actual percentage of African Americans is not going to grow that much, mm. um, but the Latino portion, if you will of the American population is the one that's expanding um, at a prodigious rate.
0: Right. That and I'll also say is the, according to this Pew study I was recently looking at, it also was discussing the rapid rise in the Asian population. That's and right. That, I should mention that. Uh, so it's yep. the, really the growth in the Latino and the Asian population and that somewhere again, again, I don't have that Pew study right in front of me, but it's it's around this time as well. I think it's it's about 20, 30 years in the future that that Asian migration, immigration that is, is going to outpace and outnumber actually Latino immigration um, as far as an immigrant group,
1: right? That's yes. right. Particularly when you think, and, and you know, one of the, I think, important pieces of data for people just to know generally, particularly in you know, given the the nasty um, immigration conversation that's going on, is that immigration from Mexico, right? Which is where most people point, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and you know, it's um, a significant number of immigrants do come from from Mexico, so it's not um, it's not totally unreasonable, but. Actually, net migration from Mexico is now zero.
0: Right, and so it's been zero for people, quite a few for a few years. I think since what? Yeah, since twenty eleven. Yeah, yeah 2011, you're absolutely 2012, right. 2012, 2011, Yeah. Yeah, and that's something that you, um, and this is nice. This is dovetailed right into the discussion on immigration. And I, I want to, I wanted us to kind of cover immigration and co- and jobs and the economy all together, which we'll, we'll do in various ways because I think they're so intricately tied. But that is a, a key point, right? That, that is missed in the, uh, media and popular discourse, um, particularly in, in right now in our political season is all this concern about we're focusing on a border that is experiencing net-zero migration, right, where uh, right. And even it's more insane. people are returning uh, to Mexico than are coming to the United States, and yet we, we are still entertaining crazy notions of um, building walls and, and, and wasting even more money on uh, a board Billions. that we know for, for various reasons does not essentially work uh, right. in, in, in at least the way and that it's And for a
1: threat that doesn't us. really exist. Exactly. I mean, if you exactly. want to call it a threat right it doesn't even exist anymore yeah. um it it makes no sense but that doesn't seem to that the fact that it has no rhyme or reason doesn't seem to affect the discourse at all.
0: No, and that that was driven home to me yesterday too. because I'm a podcast junkie, and since naturally I, I I run one, but then I like to listen to a lot of it. So I yeah. get a lot of information. And I was listening to a, a podcast. This is more of a news program that is um, really covering exit polls in New Hampshire, and they're interviewing uh, you know a person that voted for he who shall not be named, and. Um, <laughs> Asked why this person voted for that candidate, and the response was, "Well, because he's going to build a wall." And then, so the the rejoining question was, "Well, why is that important to you?" And He says, "Well, you know, it's gonna it's gonna stop you know the terrorism. It's gonna stop you know like the Syrians and and from coming over and ISIS." And I thought, "Oh my gosh how how the heck is this person well, connecting really? the southern border?" with isis you know and it, and it just goes to show right it's 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 about the so much of this has to do with what is actually heard it has nothing to do with facts <laughs> no it has to no. do with, with what is getting played over and over again in the media
1: fear-mongering exactly fear-mongering.
0: fear-mongering and how there is no there is no connection between uh international terrorism and the southern border despite uh you know the efforts to the contrary um by those that that would, would make that connection um you know, yet it 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 does somehow resonate and it does somehow connect with with voters and with the populace that man, doing one thing is going to solve another. And it's you're, you're right. It's that connection between, uh, you know, pointing to something that's visible and making it even more visible, particularly marketed on bodies, and and saying this is how we solve the problem and all these things that you're afraid of, all these boogeymen, we can solve by one thing. You know, and it's it's just that's it's, right.
1: Build this and wall look and over like, you know, here. Look over here, white middle class. While we totally continue right to erode your your wealth and your right. wages yes right yes. it's a it's a very effective
0: it's a sleight of hand you know, it's, it's, it is very sleight crashy. of
1: hand thank you exactly. exactly what I was looking for right and it's um, it's just appalling anyhow
0: mm-hmm. but you were gonna ask um I'm, I'm forgetting now Uh, that. But so, uh, we're talking about immigration. The other thing that gets lost, right? And, and I was introduced to this, uh, this particular fact, and this will resonate with you being from Puerto Rico. Um, when we think of the, the 500 year presence, which this is hardly ever mentioned of Latinos and Hispanics on, you know, in the Western Hemisphere, on, on the American continent. Uh, particularly when we're looking at history and the way history is taught. There is a recent book um, by um, published by um, Felipe, I'm um, um, forgetting his name, uh, Fernandez Armesto from the University of Notre Dame. And the book's called Our Amer- America. Our America. Right. Yep. It's a great book. I love that it, book. It starts by talking about European colonization and how, uh and, and this resonates with me because my my daughter of a da- one daughter of two daughters, three daughters actually, but one 's in fifth grade, and so she 's okay. going through American history curriculum and they 're doing this walk through the revolution play, and so of course they 're talking about the the founding of the the english colonies and so the teaching the point is the teaching of American history uh what is now contiguously america begins always begins in you know either Plymouth Rock or jamestown and one of the major points that uh, uh professor uh Fernandez Armesto makes is that actually the most, the, the, the initial successful European colonies were not English, that they were, uh, Spanish. And, and that, uh, I had assumed that that would have been, you know, Florida. I was thinking maybe St. Augustine, right. um, or, or maybe even Puerto Santa Rico. Fe, New Mexico. Yeah, but you're right. It's, it was Puerto Rico. Rico. Mm hmm. And a hundred years. It, it was a like hundred years before Jamestown. Right, 100 years before Jamestown, well, Puerto Rico.
1: The, the fact that I learned from that book as well, um, and I start. we started the book with a quote from him because I love that book so much and love that he was um, doing this kind of revisionist, wait a second, here's some real history, mm-hmm. um, take on American history by introducing this information. But before Jamestown, right, before Jamestown, the Spanish had explored forty eight out of the fifty states right. they'd already covered they'd explored it, discovered it to the extent that we were discoverable um, but and that's that's also ignored um, as is the fact that a third of this country was. Next, in one way or other, through war, treaty, or whatever, um, from Spain and Mexico right.
2: um,
1: in the 19th century. Um, so it's, um, it's a distortion, right? You know, the, that old saw about history belongs to the victors.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
1: Certainly seems to be in play here.
0: No, certainly. And I agree. I think it's, it's one of the primary draws and perhaps why I decided to, to teach history and become a historian was, you know, these, this information that I became aware of in, in college that I was just so blown away of and shocked that I hadn't learned in, you know, you know, growing up, you know, in, in the United States and attending K through 12 schools. Uh, was a whole other side of history from you know and, and I I always hesitate to say it's ethnic history cuz I don't think it's ethnic history I think it's american history I think you know if you want to call anything exactly. ethnic history all of american history is compart- compartmentalized into ethnic history right uh, you know or the the founding and you know the history that covers new england colonies you know that's ethnic history as much as anything else so um but yeah, so much of that message, and it speaks to the weight, I think, the importance of this, because, you know, that lack of perspective that rarely comes into the public dialogue and public debate, particularly as you just mentioned, right, the, the, uh, war of conquest enacted upon Mexico that led to the session se- the of, uh, the northern half of Mexico, now the southwestern United States and, not to mention, of course, the the expansion into the Pacific Islands and and Puerto Rico is rarely is rarely ever mentioned. And again, in that conversation, Puerto Rico is is incredibly important. Puerto Ricans are always mentioned and referred to as immigrants when you know they've had United States citizenship since what 1917 with the Jones Act. So it's it's right, uh, right? it's just you know all these things are lost in that discussion. But that perspective and context is so important because it it really it allows one to set. A, a critical foundation for really questioning what then is is here is you know referred to and, and repeated in the media.
1: Well, it um, it, so. it I think shapes the current narrative, right? Mm-hmm. If if you ignore that history, then you're able to cast Latinos in this case as the usurpers, right? Instead of the usurped, right? It, it's it's fascinating, right? I mean, we were here. Thank you. Native Americans were here for thousands exactly. of years, you yeah, know, exactly. fourteen or seventeen, depending on who's counting. Mm-hmm. And we've been here for five hundred years, um, longer than other Europeans. But somehow we still Latino immigrants are the usurpers,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? Taking what's not ours in some way, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, as if we were taking away. Um, you know, one of the one of the facts that I. I knew it was generally true, but I never had the data before, was, again, in, in the area of immigration. Um, you know, when people, this anti-immigrant um, rhetoric, right? The free ride, the free ride, yeah, right? The <laughs> uh, free ride makes me crazy. But um, when, when they started counting, they found, I think it was in 2012, 2012 Over $10 billion in state taxes, property, income, different kinds of state taxes, were contributed by undocumented immigrants. Um, As what free ride? And the other side of that is Latinos generally as a group... Don't take advantage of government entitlements. You know the 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 other form of free ride to the level to the proportion that we're in the population. We're less likely to to actually get on, get Medicaid um, or etc. Um, or food stamps. It's just so frustrating, infuriating, frankly. <laughs>
0: no it is and it's and uh, that's that's exactly also where I wanted this conversation to go. We've talked about the bigger numbers of, of immigration, uh, in that, you know, that the two-thirds, of, so first of all, it's the, the majority of Latinos, the vast majority, two-thirds of, of Latinos are actually American born so they're not immigrants. The small, there's a small proportion, 17%, that are actually undocumented immigrants, and we've, we've mentioned also the net zero migration since, uh, essentially 2011. Uh, but then what's also lost, as you've mentioned, is, uh, within the, economic discussions and the costs of migration are one as you've mentioned you know the free ride which which also does not mention the context of of migrants and the cost of migration, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars. There's an article I just read a couple of weeks ago, um, put, you know, putting into a factor of uh, you know the, the migrants that are coming from Central America now, uh, roughly at about seven to ten thousand dollars on average is is what that that trip costs. You know, in, right. in paying for the various services and right. that are involved in that, in getting across the multiple borders and, and the travel that's involved. So it's it's it's. The generally, the depiction with and documented immigration is that it's. A bunch of you know poor people that are you know just prancing across the border or sneaking across right. it with, sneaking no money, in, right? with no money, right? With no money, the context of their recruitment is ignored. The fact that we have U.S. industries and businesses that profit off of their exploited labor and lobby ho- Congress heavily for that, and this has been—I mean, this is going on for over a hundred years. This has been going on forever, right? Uh, so this is nothing new per se, but uh, you know all of that. Both the cost that migrants themselves. Uh, you know, have to pay f- uh, monetarily, none to mention emotionally and, and physically, uh, and then that strong connection between us business is lost. Uh, but within all that, okay, within all that, that free ride discussion is also uh, what's what's ignored is the dependency of our nation, not just you know economic in regards to forms of cheap labor, because that's one thing that's sometimes discussed. But I, I would like you to speak to this to some point. You know. In what ways are, you know, are, are immigrants vital to our economy and particularly the social safety net if we are to keep that, uh, and sustain it's, that it's moving a, forward?
1: It's such an important point, DJ. Um, you know, there's a professor in California, Manuel Pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard him say this once and it's always stuck in my mind that immigration is not the cause of American economic woes it's actually the solution. Mm,
2: mm-hmm. Because
1: the reality is that uh, ours, Latinos, a very young population, right? I think the average age is about 27 a little in a few months, right? right. Um, is And much younger than, I think it's 42 for, for whites. Um, this is an aging population. So when you have an aging workforce and you depend on something like Social Security, Right? Which is funded, right? The benefits that older people get are funded by money that's, you know, been put aside, but also by the money that's coming in from younger people now, mm-hmm. right? Um, if there aren't, right? If your labor force is shrinking, right? Because people are aging out of it. Um, And your birth rates, you know, your birth, you have to increase one way or another through birth rates and some combination with immigration. The rate of aging in the United States cannot be compensated for with our existing birth rates. Exactly. We need immigrants in order to have a workforce to actually keep our economy strong, but also to keep that safety net in place for older people. Um, so we're not a problem. Immigrants are not a problem. we're a solution. um we're needed you know i and not just as you said, you know, there's a wonderful movie, A day without a Mexican, right? Not just because we do the jobs, gardeners and whatever that other you know taking care of the kids, all the stuff that other folks don't want to do, apparently um no it's because um, in the future we're a key part of the workforce that's going to keep this country moving, the economy moving and supporting older people
0: it, you know it's so true um, and it reminds me of a few years ago when I was working on a research project, I stumbled upon a article from The New York Times that talked about the um, the surplus that, if you will, if you could use that, uh, that the Social Security was uh, administration was running because it was actually collecting taxes off of undocumented immigrants that were using okay. um, false Social Security—well, not false Social Security numbers, but they were using Social Security numbers that weren't theirs. You know, but uh, that. So there's a couple of ironies in that for me. That number one, that the Social Security uh, administration really had no problem continuing to con- collect all this right. money. They'll
1: take our money to pay real Americans. Yeah, right. you know, sit
0: this. Money in a surplus, but that's essentially that was the one of the points in this New York Times piece was that that's what was keeping this um, you know Social Security Administration afloat in the years moving forward uh, are not just of course the the Social Security of, uh, the taxes that undocumented immigrants pay, um, but that was the focus of that article. But in general, that immigrants themselves pay. Uh, so those that and, do and Latinos
1: in of, this country. Period, right? Right, exactly. Um, so it's really, I think it's really important. I'm glad you raised it.
0: Well, that figure is staggering. That 10.6, I think it was 10.6 or 10.7 billion, right? And that was the yes. the figure you. you uh, In 2012
1: called. in state taxes. Wow. And the okay. states themselves collected this data, right? They have a new Right, so and see, and that's it's usually. Not, the- it's not Latinos, you know, going in and saying, oh, yeah, we, you know, no. Um, the states collected the data.
0: And that's important because that's usually the counter-argument. The counter-argument to this idea that Uh, okay, well, there's the idea, well, maybe the federal government is actually benefiting from undocumented migration, um, because the social security administration is getting a boost. But what about states and municipalities? Uh And that's where the argument is that all the, the costs are absorbed and, you know, it's unfair. And that's why you have the, the sub-federal immigration policy movement from states like Arizona and, uh, you know, Alabama, Georgia. I mean, all throughout that just happened a couple of years ago where this was, there's really a boom. But it's
1: also, I think it's, there, in some states, you know, more progressive states, mm-hmm. um, where you have some municipalities kind of going, no, 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 we can take care of our immigrants, mm-hmm. documented or undocumented. Mm-hmm. Um, we need them. Our economy oh. needs them. Yeah, you know, our our tax revenues depend on them. Right. Um, so you're seeing policies. You know, New York City putting out you know the identification card to make right. life easier for everyone. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, you're California giving licenses. Yep, and California led the way. So yeah. Um. Very yeah. important as well.
0: I, I agree, and um. Let's move on to the – let's move on to talking about – we've talked a bit about jobs and the economy a little bit. Uh, well, maybe we can p- talk about a couple other things in regards to the economy. What other – I'll tell you uh, one surprising statistic that – That also uh, stood out to me in in the chapter on jobs and the economy. Uh, was I have to find the page here. Um, let me pull it up, but it was on, uh, essentially pointing out to the growth of the Latino middle class. And I think it's on page 44 here. Um, and the stats shows, uh, says here Latino households that earn $50,000 or more are growing at a faster rate than all American households. And that was between, uh, so between 2000 and 2011, uh, that the number of Latino households with earnings between 50,000 to 74 1,900 grew by 10% while households right. with earnings at the level for the total U.S. population saw very little growth. So this is a, um, and there are a few other stats that, that expand on this and support it, but this is also an, another uh, point that is ignored in you know, much of the popular intermediate discourse is that, that Latinos and the, the growth of a middle class among Latinos is outpacing any other demographic group. You know, It's not to ignore That's that right. there are there's a heavily urban and you, population. And you see
1: but, it not only in these numbers that have to do with revenue, right, with income. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also see it uh, you know, Latinos and particularly the Latina women are, you know, driving the the small business um expansion we're seeing in this country as well. Um there we're We're disproportionately driving that, but you know, I think it's important though when we talk about the economy, this is um, that we talk not just about income, Mm -hmm. but that we talk about wealth, right? Right. Kind of that That goes beyond what money comes in, but do you own your house, do you have a car and uh, and that's a place where one Latinos got hit really hard in the great recession in yes. two thousand mm-hmm. and eight and two thousand and nine right really, really hard, losing i think it was forty four percent of our wealth wow. in in that recession, but the wealth gap the existing wealth gap um Is that a white American, right? um, Their wealth is 12 times, the average white American is 12 times greater than the average Latino. Right. Not a little bit. You know, when it comes to earnings, there's like, you know, the average wage, I think, income for whites is about 50 and for Latinos back in, you know, just a few years now, but was 39 million, right? An 11 million dollar difference. But this isn't a little different, you know, that seems like such a little difference compared to they have 12 times more wealth. Than we do, more likely to own a house, own a car, you know, have an investment account, money in the bank, all of those things. Um, It's a really, um, I think, key inequity and a place where we as Latinos really need to, you know, put some energy and work into getting to, you know, to turn it around um, in some way. Well,
0: and and since we're Going to be moving our conversation to voting and politics. I think it's an important, also, right uh, opportunity for you know the emerging, uh, what continues to be referred to as an emerging, although it's a very deeply historical, um, voting demographic, that being Latinos, um, is that it's an opportunity. It's a it's a policy opportunity, right, to push politicians to do things that Absolutely. remove the barriers that it that stand in the way of you know Latinos and, and not just Latinos, but you know other immigrants as well that that, in, you know, face and come, you know, up to, you know, very barriers to And uh, there's people of color in this
1: country. Exactly. You know? Um, you know, it's 12 times more, right, than what wealth of whites and what Latinos have, but it's 14 times more than what black Americans have. Right. Um, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's too much. We need to get to to the voting. We need to vote, you know, actually use our voting power um, more and more effectively, and we will. I really, I think all of the data actually points to the fact that even though... Um, you know, our voting rate in the last election I think was about 48% right. under half of eligible voters, which was a little bit lower than it had been in the prior um, 2008, 2008. Uh, election. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when you actually and this is one of the places where Pew research is really strong, we do the real analysis of, you know, so who are the non-voters? Why is it that people don't vote? What is that about? Um, And there's some generally true um, trends in voting, which is that younger voters have a lower turnout rate than older voters, right? Uh Well, Latinos are, you know, a younger population. Exactly. Um, Voters who have higher levels of education, um, you know if you're college educated versus you know high school you're there's a higher um, likelihood that you will turn out and vote um, and these things are changing in our community so that lower um, voter voter turnout rate is I think most folks predict is going to go up Um the, the other thing I find really interesting in voting, because we were just talking about immigration, you know, everyone thinks, you know, if you want to get to Latino voters, all you do is talk about immigration, right? Exactly, That's how you right. court a Latino voter. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? <laughs> you know, when, among Latino yeah. voters, the top issue, not immigration, right. immigration was number six. That's right. Top issues were education, economy mm-hmm. and jobs, health care. Environment is an incredibly important issue to Latinos. Um, you would never know that from the lack of interest that so many large white environmental organizations pay, you know, having us, right? Mm-hmm. But Latinos are more, I, one of my favorites is at a point when. Um, Slightly, just about half of the general American public actually believed that ch- climate change was happening. Three quarters of Latinos knew it was happening. Right. Right? This we, no, no problem here. We can see it, folks, right? Right. Um, and their, their support of government, actually doing something about it you know enforcing you know creating the policy that's going to stop the degradation of the environment you know 86% of us um, we're behind it which is higher than the general public Mm -hmm. Um, voting is just a a fascinating you know um, although in this election right people were so worried that you know um, Latinos were going to go more Republican Mm -hmm. Um, that candidate that we're not naming, um, I think really took care of that for us um, in case we were concerned, for those of us who were concerned. Um, uh, yeah.
0: No, that is a, that was a striking statistic to me, uh, and it, it, in ways it was, in ways it wasn't. I guess in ways it was, the way it was striking and the one I'm referring to again is that, uh, you know, again, immigration is actually sixth on the list of issues, uh, the top issues important for Latino voters. And this was, of course, according to the 2012 elections. Um uh, is 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 again because it, it's it's presumed and you know that all you got to do is like you said mention immigration, start talking about comprehensive immigration reform, and you're going to get Latinos out the vote. And that's actually you know not the case. It, it, actually, what uh, you know many Latinos have become disenchanted over the failed promises over immigration. Huh, but also, I think what it, what it speaks to, what these concerns speak to, is that um, you know what Latinos really are concerned with is what a lot of other people that are concerned with here is is you know. Uh, the quality of life right that's that's what really is, is of issue in voting and so thereby education jobs the economy health care as you mentioned the environment these are all issues that are you know much higher on the list um, of importance uh, to Latinos and you know as opposed to immigration itself Um as far as the numbers, uh, so according to the 2012 election, uh, there was a record-breaking 23.7 million Latinos were eligible to vote. As you mentioned, For less track. than, less than half, I think you said around 44 or something percent is what, 48 percent, 48 percent would turn out to vote. And I'm not sure if you know, but do you know, how da- how does that compare to the general population? Because it seems to strike me as about on par. It was a
1: little bit lower. Right. It was a little bit lower than the general population, mm-hmm. um, which was one of the reasons, and it had that was striking to people, mm-hmm. right? That the turnout was um, a bit lower
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, than it had been in the prior presidential election. Gotcha. But you know, well, and that could um, speak to
0: some of the disenchantment, you know, right? That uh, we had been. And family. and again, the youth of
1: you know we are, we're a young population, um, and the turnout among young people is you know and millennials and and is is not as high as it is among senior citizens, right? right? Sixty five and older. Well, there are a lot fewer, right? Given in, in proportionately in of those in the Latino um, population, so um, it makes some. Um, sense, and it's something that's going to change. This population is going to age. Those folks who were, you know, were 18 men are now going to be 22 for this next election, right? More likely to vote than they were. They'll have finished college more likely to vote than they were before. Their income may be higher. You know, that it's important to tie, as you did, that growing middle class, you know, the, the statistics about that households with incomes of over 50000 over, you know, 75000 As those grows... It's, it's, you know, almost like you know, A plus B equals greater voter participation.
0: Right. Well, and as, since Latinos are increasingly referred to as the awakening giant, so to speak, as far as a, an electorate, yes. <laughs> the projections are that by 2030, uh, with a growth rate of about 40%, the Latino electorate is expected to reach $40 million. Uh, almost That's doubling right. its its current size, that would add essentially about an additional 16 million new Latino uh, voters by 2030. Uh, mm-hmm. Currently, well, this is not currently. This was a you know as of 2012, uh, the 2012 election, Latinos accounted for about 10.8 percent, almost 11 percent of of all registered voters. And, as we know uh, that Latinos really inhabit a lot of the key battleground states, uh being particularly fourteen uh, percent of Florida, eighteen percent of Nevada, and roughly fourteen percent of of colorado and and those are the, you know the states that are traditionally well maybe not Nevada but Florida and Colorado essentially. Uh, that are tied to Latino populations, but there's also very, you know, really g- rapidly growing Latino populations, and, and they're quite historical. I think they've been building for anywhere from 50, 60 to 100 years. in, in the Midwest, uh, the South, you know, as of, you know, the 1920s uh, or so has uh, been receiving um, good amounts of Latino migration. So uh, these populations are really increasing in, in a lot of, you know, so-called battleground states. It's one states.
1: of those basic um, statistics that I think is really important for people to look at and a point that we haven't addressed in our conversation, you know. We, very directly, it's kind of been implied in different places. You know, we talk about Latinos. Latinos you know, um, are identified by the U.S. government as people whose ancestry – or themselves hail from 19 Latin American countries, right. not including Brazil, um, and Spain. If right. you're from one of those countries, you're a Latino um, by their lights. Um, they also, the data on the shifting populations of states, and you've named three of the most important, right? These kind of swing states, important um, swing states in, in voting, um but i think just people taking a look at kind of the shifts by state um in latino population over time um and where that's headed you know is um a really important thing useful thing for for folks to do mm-hmm. um who are trying to think particularly for those of us who are working on you know social change and who care about the economy and all of these things and having a, a just economy that works for everyone um, that it's important to to know um, that we're not just in the northeast and the southwest and the west coast. And, mm-hmm. Oh, and now they're in Florida too. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, yes, we are. We've been there. Cubans have been there, but now one of the largest Puerto Rican populations in the states is in Florida now.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. fascinating. <laughs> No, certainly, and I've had very—I've had recent interviews with uh, scholars studying, you know, Latinos in in the Heartland, um, also in the as we mentioned in the South, and, you know the Mississippi Delta region. Right. All that. So those are all areas that are you know the the Carolinas, you, you name it. Um, our populations are growing. You know, so I could talk about politics and voting all day long, but let's switch <laughs> to the, the you know the, another thing that's really important to Latinos, as we mentioned, as education. And uh, so, what were some of the the, a number of things struck me, but what are some of the most striking uh, statistics that stood out to you in regards to Latinos in education?
1: Well, Latinos have always been notorious, if you will, for having one of the highest over in the, historically. Very high high school dropout rates, right? Um, and we still have, you know, among African Americans, white Americans, Asians, we still have the highest dropout rate, but it's half of what it was, you know more than uh less than half of what it was you know twenty thirty years
2: ago, right, right.
1: but the fact that I find um i think is really important and that people should know right is um I remember years ago there was a a group in the in New York City that did a study of latino um high school graduates and 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 students and found that they worked so hard, right? They were trying so hard. And once they graduated, they were trying to get into college. And then it went, it was really hard to do because they didn't have the resources and it was unrecognized. Well, what's recognized now is that in 2012, um, the percentage of Latino high school graduates that went on to college was greater than the percentage of white high school graduates. Right. So our dropout rates are dropping, thank goodness, and the number of Latinos going on to college and all that that means in terms of, you know, the areas that we've been talking about, the economy, voting, et cetera, um, is really important for people to keep in mind. Who's in school? You know, um, I think it's like one in four. Kids in school right now are Latino. In 20 years, it'll be one in three will be Latino. Um, so, and at the same time, guess who's not the principal, and guess who's not the teacher in front of the room? You know, the, the mm-hmm. rates are abysmally low. I'm trying to remember the number, but it's, it's a disgraceful um, percentage no nowhere near our proportion in the general population or in the school population.
0: Right. Well, and there's the and and that statistic as regards to the uh, the rapidly increasing Latino demographic in in. In colleges is was just i think recently made much more clear to me as i saw articles coming out speaking about the uc itself um as far as the the number of hispanic uh, latino uh, applications to the uc and in enrollments uh was outpacing i don't think not only not just other um minority groups but even you know the white uh, population for uh incoming the 2015 incoming um freshman class uh, yeah. there's, there's another point that there are increasingly more UCs, University of California system, that is, um, like the University of Santa Barbara, that are becoming Hispanic-serving institutions, which means that 25% of their uh, student body has to be Latino, and that's one of the requirements for a, an institution to be awarded that status. So uh, certainly the, the presence uh, is expanding you know, quite quickly, and, and you're right. It's something that is left out of much of the conversation. Um and that's important for our, I think, for the universities to consider as well. Uh, and I even, you know, stumbled upon a couple of these discussions from, you know, small liberal arts colleges like Williams College in, uh, in Massachusetts. You know, they're talking about the, the, the the crisis if you will that's hitting small liberal arts colleges is where are they recruiting right they traditionally recruit mostly from the northeast and uh, as they look at their projections they find that the amount of you know Anglo white students that are graduating from college are decreasing and that's just you know that's that's matching just the general decline in population growth uh mm. with Anglo and white Americans and it's the the Areas where it's increasing are with African Americans from the South and from Latinos. Right? those are the two uh, strongly growing demographics with regards to uh, you know numbers of uh, increasing numbers of high school graduates that are enrolling into college. And those were the they were identifying those two populations in particular as exactly the opportunity right. markets, yeah. if you will. Right. <laughs> yes, their market. Right um some other thing stats on education here uh one thing I found was interesting one of the first uh, stats that's Posted in the education chapter is that in line with the total U.S. adult population, a high school degree is the highest level of education completed by nearly a third of of Latinos, and that where where we really get the drop off then is the the college enrollment. But as we've just discussed, that that is actually being that's actually reversing itself. You know, Latinos that's are right. outpacing growth in other time. sectors. You already mentioned the the precipitous decline in dropout rates, a fifty percent decrease in the just the last twenty five years. Um, so more and more Latinos, of course, are, are completing high school and enrolling into college. Uh, the other thing that I found quite um, you know, pleasant and, and encouraging was – and it's something I knew, of course, from my past experience. My parents were both educators, and my dad was a school principal, and so I always heard this from him. But it's something you don't see in the – the media per se, is that Latinos' parents, cons- not just their concern, but their involvement in their children's education uh, yes. is just as much in line, if not slightly higher, than other demographics uh, in that they attend parent-teacher meetings and uh, help students with, you know, their homework, homework. And their conferences, yep. I mean, all those things good, right, good parents are supposed to do, hello, here are the stats that Latinos are doing those things, and they've been doing those things, you know, so. Um, That's right. Again, I think it wasn't surprising it's to not me. Just lack of trying, <laughs> right? Exactly. No, that, that's a, that's a great point, and and I think that's important. I mean, a book like this is important. Then, in that level, uh, with providing statistics and, and the data that can really help to address. Okay, what are the what are the real policy concerns and interventions that can be made then to improve the, the over the education, you know, of our of our children? Right. Um, it's. You know, across demographics, but particularly within you know urban uh, settings where uh, you know impoverished communities are are really suffer. And I think that's one of the great disparities. You know, the American education system. I I love to view it as it really it can be the great equalizer. I mean, I look at my education. You know, I like I was always uh, went to public schools. My parents were public school educators. I started higher education, community college, and transferred to UC and you know, moved on to a PhD at at a private institution, all those things, but it all began with public institutions, you know, public education and, uh, you know, the access that that provides uh, is so important, vital to our society. We didn't, we didn't talk about education as part of the social safety net and it, it generally isn't. And maybe it's technical definition isn't included in that, but I view indeed, perhaps one of the, you know, the biggest parts of our social safety net really is the education and how much we invest in it for our children uh, because, you know, that is what, again, is is setting the tone for the future, uh, both for, uh, you know, our children themselves, how they're going to provide for themselves, but also, as we've talked already about, um you know, the aging demographics in our, uh, you know, in our country. Well, I mean, Latinos as
1: a group name education as the most important issue
2: mm-hmm.
1: um that we are facing, right, and that they want politicians to address. So, you you are not unique. You and I are not unique. This is what a growing demographic in this population, and I would say the general population, you know, knows and understands the importance of education. Certainly the middle class does.
0: Right. Before we move on, I'll just read some of the, the, the other statistics that have been underlying our conversation. We've been mentioning these points, but here are the statistics for the, the growth of Latinos in the college population. Uh, the growth rate has been 15% uh, uh, being the fastest uh, demographic sector that's growing in college uh, enrollments, 15% between 2010 and 2011. Um, Another one here is uh, over the past four decades, the numbers of Latinos receiving college degrees, uh, associates and bachelor's degrees have grown by sevenfold, which are staggering and very important statistics.
1: Right, seven hundred percent, mm-hmm. <laughs> sevenfold. It's a right. beautiful number.
0: Right, right. Uh, oh, here's here's a great one. So similar to white and African American. Um, parents, counter parents, 80% or more of Latino parents of students in grades K through 12, 80%, right, attend general school meetings and parent teacher conferences. Uh, again I just wanted we've we've been talking about that but I wanted to since the book is full of these type of very specific stats I wanted to get those numbers out there for our audience so we're running out of time but I do you and I started talking about this already uh, but uh, before we were on air but I definitely want to touch on the issue of Latinos and health because there are a number of staggering points made here particularly this Hispanic paradox um, which I was wondering if you could explain for us and then uh, address some of those surprises uh, uh, in regards to Latinos and and uh health. Of course.
1: Um so the Hispanic paradox has to do with the fact that we are healthier and hardier than anyone um and believes we have a right to expect. Um, even though we have among the lowest, right? rates of access to health care and health care insurance even though our revenue and income and our ability um, to spend money on on healthy food is lower even though many of us live in you know what they call food deserts where getting fresh produce right. is difficult all of these things despite all of that um, Latinos live longer two-and-a-half year lo- years longer than white Americans, six-and-a-half years longer than African Americans. Um, Asians live longer than Latinos. But our um, average lifespan is 82.5 years, okay. um, which is really quite ast- astounding. And efforts have been made to explain it away. Oh, it's because they're all immigrants, and, you know, immigrants um, eat naturally organic foods back in their home countries, so they're healthier. Once they factor it, they, you know, they factored that out. They factored out everything they can. The only thing that I've seen one sociologist say that they haven't factored out yet is um, the nature of Latino home life and that kind of familial support.
0: Yes, so on health, those are great points. And there's so much else we could cover, but we are out of time. So I encourage our listeners to grab a copy of this book. We're going to include a a link to it on our New Books in Latino Studies page. We have a link to Amazon where it can be purchased. It's very affordable. Again, a great text. Uh, Idelice, thank you so much for coming on to New Books in Latino Studies. We so much appreciate your time.
1: Thank you so much. I really enjoyed our conversation.
0: All right. Take care. Thanks again for tuning in to New Books and Latino Studies. I'm David James Gonzalez, the host of the channel, and I hope you've enjoyed my conversation today with Erlice Malave, co-author with S.D. Giordani of Latino Stats, American Hispanics by the Numbers, published by the New Press in 2015. If you'd like to get in contact with us, please send us an email at Latinostudies at gmail.com. You may also follow us on Facebook and Twitter or rate our podcast on iTunes.